Well, good evening. It is good to be with you. God is not so far removed from you. And he's not so far removed from you that he cannot be found. God is not hiding from us. He is not hiding from mankind. The fact is that you can find our creator. You can find our redeemer. And he actually wants you to find him. Now we may not be able to see him right now literally with our eyesight and we cannot reach out and touch him with our physical hands but that does not mean that God God cannot be found it does not mean that you cannot know God this year we've considered a theme where we looked at a number of different defenses which all point to the reality of God. They all argue the fact that you can have a confident faith in God. We've looked at things such as the order or the design in the universe, in our world in which we live. And there are some scriptures that address that kind of argument, that kind of defense. Such as Romans 1.20, when it talks about the idea that God can be known by the world, by the creation. You can know the nature of God by what you see. But then also down in Psalm 19, talks about the handiwork of God, declares his glory. Whereas you read in Acts 17, the fact that one God created everything, and he made from one all nations so that we might find him. We also talked about the idea of the historicity of Jesus Christ and the testimony of of the historicity of Christ, those who have seen him, those who have heard him, those who have touched him. And so so we looked at that argument, that Jesus is a real person, he's a historical person, and we have reliable, trustworthy documentation of their testimony of Jesus Christ. And we also looked at the very fact that you can trust the scriptures, the, the documentation of the inspired word is reliable. You can know that you have God's word in your hand as you read that text. But to find God completely, to find in him fully, you must go into his word. You will not find him simply by looking at the universe And you will not fully understand who he is by simply understanding that Jesus is a historical person. We must go into God's word to truly know who God is. And if you think about that, that should be obvious to us. That's that's understandable, the fact that if I'm going to know somebody... How do you really get to know a person? How do you get to really know an individual? Well, it's through communication, is it not? And so by listening and learning his thoughts, his interests, desires, likes, dislikes, ambitions, you learn a person through that avenue of communication. 
So likewise, how will you grow in a true knowledge, a true understanding of your God, of your creator, of your redeemer? Well, it's going to be through listening and learning the words of God. What God has communicated to us specifically, because it is that word, that revelation, that reveals to us the heart of God, the mind of God, as well as the will of God. So I want to begin, first of all, by making this argument, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit reveals God's words. It is the Holy Spirit that has revealed the message of God through the ages so that mankind today can know God. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, as you turn over to your New Testaments there, we're going to read just a few verses as you notice, as we see that it is the Holy Spirit, that being of the Godhead, who knows the mind of deity. We don't. We don't know minds God without his communication. Without God speaking to mankind in some way, there's no way that we could know the mind of God by looking at the stars, even though the stars declare the glory of our God. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 2, Paul makes this argument as an apostle who has received direction by the Holy Spirit to speak the message of God concerning Jesus Christ. And so in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, To us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. I don't know the depths of God, but the Spirit does. And he asked this question, for who among men know the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we, he goes on to say, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So we can know what the Spirit has to say about the mind and the heart and the will of God, because he searches the depths of God, and so what we have contained in these holy scriptures is what God has determined to freely give us so that we can know him. Notice what it says in verse 16 of that chapter. So at the end of chapter 2, as Paul continues to make this argument in defense about the fact that they have received the Spirit of God, and so what, it, what they are preaching, what they're revealing is from God, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Do you know the mind of the Lord so you can instruct God? And so the question is asked, you know, in a rhetorical way. No, we don't know the mind of God that we, we can tell God what to do. But he goes on to say, after asking that question, but we have the mind of Christ. Where? 
Where do you have the mind of Christ? Because you know the depths of, of, of the mind of Jesus, the Son of God? No, you have the mind of Christ because the Spirit has revealed that in Holy Scriptures. And so contained in these pages, contained in this revelation is what is freely given to us so that we may know the mind of Christ, the mind of the Spirit, and the mind of the Father. Peter, the apostle, also emphasizes this point of the fact that what you have in your lap there as you read these inspired words is from God. Over in 2 Peter chapter 1, in the last two verses, another familiar text, we see that God chose messengers. Throughout time, God has chosen unique individuals, men of faith, men of God, to be his messengers, and he would speak through them under or by the direction of the Holy Spirit. So Peter makes the same argument when he says, know this first of all, verse 20 of 2 Peter chapter 1, know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. So an examination of the heavens, an an, an examination or observation of nature around us will not reveal to us a complete understanding of the character and the will of our Creator and Redeemer. There's a lot we can learn from the universe that declares the glory of God, but it will not tell us everything we need to know. It will not tell us the things that God has freely given to us. For example, divine holiness and divine righteousness are not discovered by looking and examining into nature's order. Looking at the order of nature, looking at the design of nature, it's not gonna tell you about the holiness of God or the righteousness of our creator. And we also recognize the fact, left to our own opinions, left to our own ways, what happens? Left to our own devices, we do not draw closer to God, the God who is light and love. But, on the other hand, hearing and receiving God's word produces faith. Hearing, receiving God's word changes lives. Very quickly, just want to point out there in Romans chapter 10, when you consider the history of the Israelites in the Old Testament, we know that their history was littered with people, actually with a nation, who squandered opportunities because of their stubbornness toward God's word. And so, for example, in Romans 10, just noting a couple of verses, as Paul is making this argument about how faith comes from hearing the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, in verse 16, however, they didn't all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? did, did, Did the Israelites of old always receive the good news that God had to tell them? Well, no, they did not. They did not heed everything that God said to them. 
But then you look down there in the same chapter, and you notice in verse 18, but I say, surely they have never heard, have they? If they didn't heed the good news, surely they hadn't heard it. Well, he goes on to say, indeed they have. They did hear it. Their vo- he says, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. No, God gave them opportunity, but no, they had hearts that were stubborn. They had hearts and ears that were closed to the message of God. And so they squandered that opportunity to grow in the knowledge of God and to draw near to him and find him. But the Bible tells of those who did. For example, in the Thessalonian letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about some Christians in the city of Thessalonica who, when they heard the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're told here in the first letter to the Thessalonians, he says, they received the word of God, you know, you know, and accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. And so those who were converted in Thessalonica, when they heard Paul and others preaching Jesus Christ, they received it because they recognized this is truly the word of God. This is not just the words of Paul or his co-workers. No, he says, they received it for what it really is. It was the word of God which performs its work in you who believe. And it says, and it changed them. It changed their lives entirely, and they became imitators of Christ. So this evening, I want us to just look at a couple points as we think about the idea of how we find God fully and completely when we turn to the Scriptures. For example, in Psalm 119, what do you learn about God? Psalm 119, the law of the Lord is going to tell you who God is. It doesn't just tell us what God expected of us. It doesn't just tell us what God expected of them. What it also says, it tells us about who God is. For example, when you go back to Psalm 119, you look at a number of verses there, but you just take note there in verse 15. Psalm 119, verse 15, when the psalmist says, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. Where do you find God's ways? Where are you going you know, to find where God dwells? Where are you going to find where God walks? You're going to find that path, you're going to find those ways in God's statutes, in God's precepts. Just as verse 15 says, I'm going to meditate on those precepts because that's where I find God's ways. But not only that, it is in those same precepts that the wonders of God are discovered. Verse 27, I understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. When I meditate on God's precepts, when I meditate on God's word, it is then I begin to meditate on the wonders of God. And so the law of the Lord is not just laws that, okay, this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do. The law of the Lord is revealed so we can know God as well. His righteousness 
is embedded, excuse me, go back. His righteousness is embedded in his judgments. Look at verse 137 of the same Psalm. 137, where he says, Righteous are, righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. The judgments of God are a revelation of the righteousness of God. And so when you study those judgments, and what God has determined is right and wrong and how that's going to be handled and who's going to suffer what, it is a revelation of God's character. Also, we find the loving kindness of God. In Psalm 149, to illustrate you know, this, he says, Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Throughout the scriptures... As you read the Bible accounts, one of the big character traits that should just, you know, constantly be coming to the forefront of your thought is the love and kindness of God. Because it is in, those, it is in his love and kindness that, you, that it brings comfort to those who put their trust in him. And it is in that love and kindness that unveils his many mercies. And if there's one thing that you should draw from the history of Israel is the loving kindness and overflowing mercy that God had with a nation that was constantly stubborn and hard-headed. It's in the law of the Lord that you, you come to know God. It is also in that same law you come to know his perfect faithfulness and the fact that God intervened into humanity in verse 90 of Psalm 119, he says, your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. Not only is God's word faithful, but God's word is a revelation of his own faithfulness. And it is in that faithfulness of God's word, for example, in verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. There is a firmness, there is a solidness that is contained in the message of God, and in turn, it reveals to us the constancy of God himself. God is faithful, so therefore his word is faithful to you. That same God seeks to illuminate our lives with his light. In verse 130, he says, the unfolding of your, of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. God wants to illuminate your life. But that will only truly, fully come to pass is when, when you look into the word of God. You've got to get into the word of God to know God fully. If the righteousness of God is everlasting, then God himself likewise is everlasting. Verse 160, the sum of your, tr of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. If the message of God is everlasting, then the one who brought about that message, because that message is a reflection of his own character. He is the source, originator of truth, all that, is, all that is true is found in God. Yeah, and you see that in verse 151 and 152. And he is a God of peace. Why? Well, because he provides the means as well as the message of reconciliation. In 165, he says, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. If you want to know God, you've got to read his word. 
You've got to spend time with God, listening and learning who he is, what he likes and what he dislikes, what his character is, what his mission is, what his goal is in this universe. The gospel as well unveils one who is the revelation of the radiance of the Almighty's nature and glory. You're familiar with those verses found in Hebrews chapter 1. When speaking of the revelation of God in these last days to us through his Son, that Son being Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he says, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus the Son reflects his Father. Son like Father. When you think about that idea of how the gospel unveils, the gospel reveals to us this one, this eternal one who was with God and was God in the beginning and how he reveals, he makes known to us, makes manifest to us the radiance of our creator, the radiance of our redeemer. He reveals to us the glory of the almighty It should cause you to think of a conversation that Jesus had before he died in the upper room with the apostles. You look there in John 14. John 14, he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. It is then that Philip responds, you know, with the idea, well, show us the Father. And then Philip com- and then Jesus comes back with a question directed particularly at Philip himself when he says, "Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip?" Jesus says, "If you've seen me, if you've seen me, you've seen God." Why is that? Those who saw Jesus on earth saw God on earth. He was Emmanuel in the flesh on earth. And of all people that should have understood that, it should have been those closest to him, those who spent the most time with him. And so Jesus could say, particularly to that small group of men in the upper room, before he's betrayed and then is crucified for humanity, he could say to them, if you've known me, you would have known my father. And he goes on, you know him. You know him and you've seen him. Why why could Jesus say that? Because you were with me, that's why. And I don't know what Jesus' emotions or, or feelings are when Philip asked this question, but the idea here is, you know, it's, at least to me, there is maybe a little bit of a frustration, and maybe not. But the idea, you know, when Jesus says, now you have seen him, now you know him, and G- Philip responds, and he has to say, have I been with you this long and you still don't know Philip? 
What about us? What about us? Have we been with Jesus in the Gospels like we should? Would Jesus, if he was sitting beside me, would he say to David, David, have I been with you so long and you've not come to know me, David? You know, John the Baptist, at the, at the, early on in the ministry of Christ, you know, declared on one occasion, Behold, the Lamb of God. But he's saying, look, look there. There's the Lamb of God. And the challenge is still for us as well to look. We're being, we're being instructed in the Scriptures to look and see Jesus And when you look and see Jesus, what do you see? What do you see when you sit down with Jesus and his words, his teaching? What do you see? Who do you see? That's why it's so important for us, not only in Bible classes, but also in our own private reading and our private studies, that we walk with Jesus through the Gospels. Not hurriedly, but intimately. We need to walk with Jesus through the Gospels. Why is that? Because when you spend quality time with someone, when you spend quality time with someone, what do you do? You get to know the person, don't you? And the apostles had spent some quality time, three and a half years roughly, you know, with Jesus, seeing so much and hearing so much that it would take the Holy Spirit to help them remember everything that they heard and saw. But when you spend quality time with someone, you get to know them. And that's why you have the Gospels. Because it is in the Gospels This one, the eternal one, described as the word who was with God and was God in the beginning. When you spend time with that one, you come to know who he is. And you listen. You listen to Jesus. And you take his words, you take his teaching to heart because those words are are not simply the words of a man named Jesus. Those words are the words of the Father. Those words are the words of the Son. And those words are the words of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be like the apostles, and we need to sit and spend some time with Jesus Beholding the Lamb of God, beholding the Son of God, because the gospel unveils to us the nature and the glory of God in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, we are actually being challenged to fix our eyes on Jesus. Get focused on Jesus. There in the 12th chapter, in the first three verses, where it speaks of the challenge 
and the, the hardships and the, even the temptations of life, that our race in Christ is not one without difficulty, without hardship. And so he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, you know, this is following chapter 11, and we've got all these great witnesses surrounding us, he says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin in which so easily it entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith, who is Jesus, Jesus who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, another way to say, look at him again. Look a little bit longer, consider Jesus who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Have you fixed your eyes on Jesus? You know, spirit, our spiritual journey lies before us. And it is going to end with eternity. And along the way, there's going to be encumbrances, and there's going to be entanglements, and there's going to be distractions along the way. And so the point is, you need to be able to see Jesus. You yourself need to be able to see Jesus each step you take along the way. Because if you don't, if you're not fixing your eyes Jesus, and you can't see Jesus the way you need to see him, you're not going to succeed well in finishing this race because it's just not easy to live in this world and not be part of it, to live in this world and not get entangled with it. You, know, you cannot focus on Jesus, you, you cannot you know, you know, you know, not focus on his ways or focus where he is without being in God's inspired word. And that's the point. If you want to see Jesus, you're going to have to get into the word. If you want to be able to fix your eyes on Jesus, you're going to have to be in the word to be able to see what needs to be seen. Because the world is not going to help you. Keep the faith. Finish the race. So you can gain that crown of righteousness. Finding God is knowing God. And knowing God is walking according to his will. God's will can be known. God's will can be understood. But we've got to get into it. We gotta read it, we gotta meditate on it, we gotta digest it. You know, here in Ephesians 5, 17, we're told, you know, in in a command, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need to understand it, and we're told, understand it. And if you don't personally and purposefully, purposefully look 
into the word of the Lord, you will not grow. If you're not in the word, you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow in true knowledge. You're not going to grow in faith. You're not going to grow in endurance and perseverance. You're not going to grow in all the Christ-like attributes that are so hard for us to keep and maintain. A true knowledge of God is manifested, how? It's manifested by a life living in harmony, living in unison with God's commandments. You know, we're getting, you know, the point of getting to the word is not just to know some facts. The point of getting to the word is to be changed by it. And so in 1 John chapter 2, the apostle John has this to say, beginning there in verse 3, by this we know, the whole, the whole point of first, this short epistle of 1 John is to instill in us confidence in Christ as his disciples. John is writing so Christians can be confident about their faith. They can be confident about their relationship in Christ. They can be confident about the hope they have in God. Not arrogant, not boastful, but confident. A confident faith where we expect God's promises to be fulfilled. And so he says, by this we know that we have come to know him. How can I know I know God? According to John in this, at this point, he says, if we keep his commandments. You know, finding God means knowing God, and knowing God means what? Doing what God says. Living according to his will. Because we've come to know who God is and we want to do his will. Verse 4, the one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's some strong wording there. The person he says he knows, but he doesn't obey, he says, the person who's saying he knows but doesn't obey, that person is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected or made complete. By this we know that we are in him. A healthy relationship with God, a healthy relationship you know, with Christ and in Christ is founded upon knowledge and understanding and a desire to seek one another's well-being. There's no doubt, there's no doubt that God desires what's best for you. How do you know that? Jesus, that's how you know it. That God desires what's best for you. How far was God willing to go? How far was the Father willing to go? He was willing to sacrifice his son. That's how much he wants what's best for you. And when we know God in the way we ought to know him, and it's a growing process, we don't know everything, we don't all have, you know, we don't, everything's not perfect in our life. It's a growing process. But when we know God in the way we ought to know him, knowing him with, with respect and with love, what will we do? We will seek to please God. That's what we'll do. We'll try to be the person that God wants us to become and the person that God can transform us into. I want to end with this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to take the time to go ahead and read this section. But I want you to think, on this idea of knowing God comes by living according to his will, living in harmony, unison with his teaching, with his revelation, particularly now for us, for all humanity, the, the word of Christ, the power of God that is able to save us. In chapter 4, or verse, in, beginning in verse 1, he said, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. So he's, those who are in the Lord, he's exhorting in the Lord. He says, you know, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction, so they have received some teaching in, in, from Paul and others, you know, he says, as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Forgiveness and salvation call us unto salvation, unto sanctification. Why is that? Because the Savior is holy. The Holy One of God came down and dwelt among men and died for us, unblemished, unscarred, unstained, unmarred by sin. He's holy. But through that Holy One, we are granted the gift that is found in and through Jesus Christ, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of justification, the gift of salvation, and, the, and that gift demands or calls from us the responsibility of living a life of sanctification. God's word teaches us how to live. God's word teaches us how we need to walk, how we need to please God. And he reminds us here that these commandments, this message that has come to us through Jesus Christ, is authoritative. You know, this is according to the authority of Jesus Christ. And you think, God's will. If it, when you get to know someone, you know their will, what's God's will? Well, God's will is we're to live a redeemed life. And we are to live a renewed life that's devoted to God's purpose and so we're to use our bodies in a way that glorify God, doing the things that are right and honorable and blameless. Why is that? Because actions manifest whether or not you know God or not. And the one who truly knows God, if we really know God, then our actions are going to reflect that, that we know who God is, and we know who we are in relationship to that God. See, our action is going to reflect 
the knowledge, the intimate knowledge that we have gained by spending time with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their inspired scriptures. Acts 17 tells us that God is not that far from us. That's what Paul told those Athenians way back in the first century. That hasn't changed a bit. God is not far from us. God is actually very near to you. And you can know him. You can know God because God has given you his word. He has spoken to you through these preserved, inspired scriptures. And through that message and through those commandments and God's will, you can, in faith, walk confidently with God. When you spend time with God and you spend time with Jesus and you get to know who God is and who Christ is, he says, you can know me and you can know whether or not you're right with me. Now that means there's some practical aspects to this. That we've got to be willing to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow Jesus. And following Jesus means doing the Father's will. It means keeping the Father's revelation. It means obeying the Father's commandments. And in these last days, he's given that will, that message, and those commandments through his son, Jesus Christ. And for that reason, the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's power to save those who believe. And those who believe, truly believe, will submit to God because of who he is. And what he's done. If you're here tonight. You're not a Christian. Why not? Why not? Do you believe? If you believe. That Jesus is the Christ. The son of the the living God. Then why not tonight. Make the decision. To submit to his will. To confess your faith unashamedly before others that you believe he is the son of God that died on Calvary's cross for you. And with that confession, repent of sin and be buried with him in the watery grave of baptism. And in so doing, the power of God's grace will take effect. Your sins will be washed away because by faith, You did what God said because you truly know him now. If you are a Christian, but there may be sin in your life that you've not confessed and you've not prayed to God for forgiveness, if we can assist you and help you in making your life right, we encourage you and invite you, please come now when we stand to sing the psalm that's been selected.